This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Coming up on today's show, I play the Dead Space remake, the Mario movie trailer is here, and the badass Rebecca Valentine is also here. How you feeling, baby? You know, I'm hanging in there. Got my COVID bivalent booster. Got my baby's first COVID shot, which I'm thinking maybe was a mistake for us to get the shots at the same time. Oh, it's funny. But, you know, we're rolling with it. We're rolling with it. <laughs> the beautiful, dazzling Rihanna Manuel Pena is here Hello. as well. Just recovering from jet lag. No big deal. <laughs> we're all recovering from something this week. And like I said earlier, reporter at IGN, Rebecca Valentine, is also I'm- joining us. Recovering from publishing articles and getting engaged. Hey! hey. Congratulations! <laughs> we want to talk we about that. Out. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> so tell us the story, if you will. Oh my gosh. So we moved in together a year ago and I told him, we can talk. We can start talking about marriage after we've lived together for a year. So that would have been at the start of October, which I believe at the time of recording this is like two weeks ago, would have been when we could start to have conversations about this. So I knew I wanted to marry him earlier this year. I knew he wanted to marry me. So my plan was I started getting a ring and I started looking into it and I was going to propose over Christmas. I figured at that point, we will have had a couple conversations. We'll feel comfortable with it. I had a whole plan. I knew where I was going to do it. We were going to be in Kansas City over the holidays. That's like where a lot of our dating happened. And so there's places that are special to us. I had a whole plan. I was going to do it. And then he just starts talking over the summer and starts asking questions and starts saying, hey, like, you know, what if uh, what if we got got married? Or, you know, what if we did that very casually? And I'm like, what am I going to do? Tell him, no, I don't want to marry you. No, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to introduce problems into the relationship that don't need to exist. So I tried to hold him off. But eventually it was kind of clear he was thinking about it earlier than I wanted him to. So I I already had a ring at this point. I enlisted Greg Miller to help. I needed his ring As you do. Because, you know, it's not easy to get uh, if you are not dating somebody who wears rings regularly. It's difficult to get. He's not a ring wearer. Greg tricked him by telling him there were going to be kind of funny class rings and asked for his ring size. Oh, nice. I just That's a slick trick. Good job, Greg. Very good. I just happened to have a ring size or just lying around as one does. Uh, so I was able to get his ring size that way. Uh, sorry about the kind of funny class rings that will never materialize. <laughs> but I had this 
this ring and it's, it was hiding in my drawer for months. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, he just asks me, hey, what if we went to Kansas City in the fall? And I'm like, why would we do that? There's no reason to do that. We were just there in February. We're going again for the holidays. I love seeing our family and friends there, but there's no reason to do it. And he kind of <laughs> held it off for a little while, but he kept saying, just dropping things like, oh, well, we'll probably be in Kansas City in September. We'll just be in Kansas City in September. Why would we do that? So finally he told me <laughs> that he wanted to ask me an important question. I was like, okay, this is what we're doing. So I, I didn't want to steal his thunder. He had a plan. He knew what he was going to do. And so I just brought the ring along for the ride and decided I will just have this in my pocket as one little surprise for him, even though I already know what's coming. The place where we both, where I had originally intended to propose to him and where he wanted to propose to me, he had like made a little reservation. It was a rooftop bar that was important to both of us. Beautiful view of the skyline. We love that place. There was going to be a bottle of champagne, the whole works. It closed down unexpectedly three oh, days no. before we got there. Oh, no. So, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. A new management giant walkout of 20 employees. Every employee there just walked out because of some unknown badness. Uh, solidarity, people. I Yikes. I hope you're all okay. I'm not Oof. upset. Yeah. So we ended up actually, he just proposed in a friend's backyard, but it was like beautiful and there were flowers and there were friends around and I turned around Aww. and they had champagne and it was, it was so and, and I had mine. I pulled out of my bag and counter proposed and I, I think he was surprised. <laughs> I think he kind of knew that I was doing up to something, but I, I think he was a little surprised. Oh, that is so sweet. You two are some of my favorite couple. Well, I mean, there's only a few couples like that. And you're all actually here on this show right now that I love the most. <laughs> Give me couples. Oh, there's obviously Thank more. You. So don't get upset. But no, I, I love watching you guys and your relationship over the years. You always look so happy and I don't know, you always give me the warm and fuzzy. So huge congratulations. Thank you. And thank you for sharing the story. When I saw the photo you posted of both of you down on one knee, each holding a ring, I was like, there's got to be an interesting story about why they both had rings at the same time for the engagement. So very happy for you and wish you guys the best of luck in your next chapter as legally bound people, Um, which will happen, obviously, after you Uh, do the the paperwork and all that jazz. Next year. But yeah, so I want to say thank you to our Patreon producers for the month. Just a hard pivot everybody <laughs> Chewy's godson Alex Agropolis Ferris Justin Boshi Punk Divide and welcome to our new producer Maddie Dre thank you for joining us and supporting us at patreon.com slash what's good games like Derek Smith Robert Griffin Mike Winkler and of course Maddie Dre who we already announced Brittany we've got some fun new reviews as well we do shout out to Pirate King 2488 who asked a quick question I want to ask if any of you have played Monster Hunter Rise, and if so, what are your thoughts and builds? To my understanding, none of us have played that game. I dabbled at the beginning when it first came out, but I put only like a couple of hours in before I got distracted and never went back, sadly. Sorry, I do want to play more, but yeah. Not today, sir. We are not answering your question today. And a shout out to Christopher Billiot, who said, Brit never changed. And because I read that, I just want to say, don't worry. I've been this fucking weird my whole life. It's not changing. (laughs) If you ever watch any childhood videos of mine, you'll see that I've always just kind of been this this little Um, Excuse me. uh, When can we get some of these childhood videos? Do you want them? I have them. Yes. Without hesitation. Okay. Yes. I, yeah, I just got all of my videos digitized. Is that what the word is? And uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Jason saw it and he's like, wow, you literally haven't changed. No, sir. I have not. Today's show is brought to you by Shopify, but we'll tell you a little bit about that later because we have some more warm and fuzzies to talk about. The Mario movie trailer released last Thursday, October 6th. And I'm assuming we've all seen this. 
Several oh, times. yeah, multiple, multiple times. times. Well, <laughs> right? I was really surprised by it. So for those of you who don't know, this movie is coming out April 7th, 2023. It has a cast of Chris Pratt, Anya Taylor-Joy, Charlie Day, Jack Black, Keegan-Michael Key, like Seth Rogen. There's a lot of them in there. And I was really surprised by this. What about you guys? Surprise in a good in way a good or way, a bad in way? In a really good way. I, I mean, I didn't know what to expect. All the talk about Chris Pratt and people are like, oh, how's he going to be Mario? Whatever. Like, that's a whole other can of worms. But this trailer is just oozing so much charm, and I just can't stop watching it. I think I probably went in with it with a little bit more high hopes mm-hmm. because I'm a big fan of Illumination. Do I have an unhealthy love for the Minions? Yeah, yes, I do. I'm publicly admitting that right now. I trusted that they, as an animation house and a studio that has a lot of films underneath their belt were going to do well. But you never know in adaptations, right, how much the IP holder, aka Nintendo, is going to influence the narrative and the overall direction because sometimes the creators have a lot of influence and sometimes they don't. And I just loved it. And my baby loved it as well. She giggled through the whole thing. Aww. I love that. Rebecca, what'd you think? Oh, I loved it. I think it's really sweet. It's nice to look at. It seems to understand what is silly and playful about Mario. The penguins cracked me up. Oh my god, the best part. (laughs) Watching it right now, I love how squishy those mushrooms are. Just all these little details. People were kind of freaking out over Mario's face. I think that once you watch him moving around, it doesn't matter. Like, that's Mario. That's what Mario looks like. It's fine. What are they complaining about with his face? Never visit Reddit, but there's just a million different little comparisons of like, oh, his features are too small or what something looks off. I don't understand. And yeah, sure. If you're going to sit there and pick it apart frame by frame, whatever. But it's Mario. What about that doesn't look like Mario to you? I thought it was comical when they released the key art in advance of the direct of everybody being like, where's his butt? His his jeans look a little loose. Like, where's the butt cheeks? He's supposed to have some like thick dumps back there and he doesn't. (laughs) Dumps. Exactly. I was going to say the same thing because, I mean, <laughs> obviously it's it's a Mario character art. Like, we're not trying to sexualize it, but as a plumber, you know, it makes sense that he had some squats in his regimen and maybe it was a little bit thicker. But no, I... I mean, he does ground pound. He's got a squat you know, a to go down the pipe. He, he's got, got his little squat. That's true. And it goes down. He doesn't mm. skip leg day, you know? Like, that's every day at work. But <laughs> I also enjoyed it, so I don't have any negatives to say about it. Christopher Patrick, great job on the voice. I didn't really even notice it it was just a voice and I moved right along but all the way down to as you always say like the detail like in the animation and shout out to Illumination it's really really showing beautifully like the scales on Bowser's arms and legs are like glistening in the snow and the the northern lights like it is absolutely breathtaking and every person I know who has a child who watched it is so excited so I'm excited too you know I have a theory that it's going to be the sort of trope where Mario is probably a normal person and he gets sucked into the Mushroom King and he takes the body of Mario. Because if you look, when he gets like, he gets yeah. portaled through, right? He goes through a warp pipe, he runs into a big old bouncy mushroom, and then he's like, oh, what is this place? And then he runs yeah. into Toad, and there's no recognition of like, oh, hey, Toad. You know, like, unless this is his like origin story, I don't know if we're going to go that deep here. So I think that's why it makes sense to have Christopher Pratt as the voice. And I think, you know, that happened in Detective Pikachu, right? Where Pikachu had a very deep voice. But there was a reason for that. And we've seen that happen a lot. No, I think this looks super cute and really charming. And I'm all for it. I am obsessed with Keegan-Michael Key's Toad. <gasps> Dude. It's so yes. cute. <laughs> that is the funniest thing I have ever heard. Someone in the lead up to this, somebody did a cut on YouTube. You can find it if you search for it. Of the very infamous A.A. Ron sketch done entirely in Toad's voice. Oh my God. Which is... 
one of the funniest things I've ever heard. I know that's not what we're getting here, but one like little segment of line delivery we got from Toad. I'm like, yes, yes, I'm, I want so much Toad in this movie. I'm going to laugh really hard. Also, my headcanon is that is Captain Toad because he has the big heavy backpack. Ooh, we're dropping some theories wow. on everyone's asses today. Okay. I'm into it. I think the real crime though is that Andrea wasn't cast as the voice of Toad. Agreed. And Rebecca, I don't know if you've ever heard Listen. Andrea's Toad voice, but... No, I specifically do Toad Sings. Um, it could be a musical. So. It's fine. You could have turned it into a musical. <laughs> Toad the musical. And I can't take credit for originating that. I'm just merely uh, doing a bad impersonation of somebody else who has a YouTube channel that all they do is make music videos with Toad singing. Well, it's not too late to, to get you in the soundtrack. So let's cross not our fingers for you that. You know, it's true. It's true. I, I love how Rebecca's like, uh-huh. I'm waiting. What are you going to do? Are you going to do the Toad voice? And I was like, meh, maybe not today. Okay. Save a... Uh, everybody's ears i just uh did it not that long ago you know i got sore throat it's the covid booster um, i actually think i have heard it before now that you mention it i think this is something i'm familiar with but i'm gonna go listen to it again later anyway you should i posted a video on twitter not that long ago which i can repost for everybody <laughs> but i loved jack black's performance as bowser in this trailer i think he's gonna do great i got to see him at new york comic-con not in person i watched some clips that maud garrett the host of the panel at new york comic-con posted on her feeds of him kind of talking in his bowser voice and i was like what an inspired choice oh, for yeah. bowser yeah. i think he's gonna it's do it's so good and stuff. i love that he looks like he's going to be an actual asshole you know because you there's different kinds of bowsers out there right you have the soft Bowser, you have the companion Bowser, but he looks like he's going to be a real jerk. Oh, yeah. I think that's a good look for Bowser. And yeah. Comic-Con, Jack Black, the bits that I've seen, he looked <clears> like he was having the time of his life, man. Like, he was he was so happy. I His whole thing where he was talking about how he had played Donkey Kong in arcades as a kid, and now someone came to him and was like, hey, be Bowser. And he's like, yeah! I mean, who doesn't want to be the big, scary dinosaur? That's perfect for him. So excited. Yeah. Love it. Moving on to something not as fun, but we should talk about because it happened. MetaConnect 2022. It's crickets. Gonna be real. Completely missed that this happened. Okay, that's why. (laughs) Completely missed it. That's why we're here. So a lot was announced. We're not gonna go over everything, but this is courtesy of IGN, Rebecca Valentine. You might be familiar with that outlet. Uh, never heard of it. No, it's just. So the number one news I think that came out of it was MetaQuest Pro is coming October twenty fifth. Cost a whopping fourteen ninety nine, ladies and gentlemen. That is one thousand four hundred and ninety nine (sighs) dollars. Yikes. How much was the Valve Index and we complained about that? Uh, I think, honestly, it was the same price. It, was it like 1100 or something? Because I, I thought let it was me an even thousand. Yeah, so while Andrea is doing some valid research for us, I'll get into this. So, revealed during the MetaConnect keynote, the Quest Pro features several improvements over the Quest 2, such as new optical stack that replaces the fresh. Okay, we're going to get real technical. Real technical, dirty, Ooh, dirty smut dirty talk, talk here. Replaces the Fresnel lenses found in the Quest 2. Meta also confirmed that the Quest Pro is the first device that is powered by the new Qualcomm Snapdragon XR2 platform, which the tech giant touts is optimized for virtual reality to, quote, run at 50% more power than Meta Quest 2 with a better thermal dissipation. As detailed in the latest blog post, the Quest Pro is claimed to have 37% more pixels per inch and 10% greater pixels per degree than the Meta Quest 2. It's slimmer and more compact compared to the Quest 2 with pancake-shaped lenses and a curved cell battery on the rear, which Meta claims is the slimmest and most balanced VR device it has ever made. So the controllers are also included with this, and they're called Touch Pro controllers, which offer built-in sensors on each controller, allowing you to track your position in a 3D space. 
But this is the interesting tidbit in here, which I didn't realize, so that's why I have to include it here. As Meta previously confirmed earlier this year, the Quest Pro is designed for work, not gaming. Meta reiterates this in the latest blog post, noting that there is a ton of content and updates still planned for the Meta Quest 2, while confirming that the Quest Pro is backwards compatible with Quest 2 apps in games. So I was like, okay, so it's not made for gaming and it's made for work. And little Zuckerberg said that he wants it to be more focused on work use cases and eventually replace your laptop or work setup. This device will have improved ergonomics, full color pass through, mixed reality to seamlessly blend virtual reality with the physical world. We're building an eye track and face tracking so your avatar can make eye contact blah blah blah. So I guess this is going to replace your work PC according to Zuckerberg ladies and gentlemen. You're going to have a mm. VR headset. I will not give Zuckerberg anything on this very silly statement but the VR use case for like architecture and medical uses is really good right there, there's tons of industries that we in gaming do not talk about or think about very often that have very good reasons to be using wildly expensive vr headsets on a day-to-day -day basis to sort of be able to envision things in spaces that they don't necessarily have practically in front of them for whatever reason so it's great good for them <laughs> Yay. Yay. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point mm -hmm. is that this feels like they're not actually marketing it towards gamers, that they're marketing it towards different kinds of tech-related industries. I actually did some landscaping work at our house recently, and the people who were helping us do the landscaping work were like, we're going to bring an Oculus to your house and show you Ooh. in VR. And I was like, well, let me stop you. You don't have to bring it to our house. I know we're kind of a weird edge case scenario whenever we talk with anybody in any other industry who doesn't know me or my husband we're like we're working video games and push our nerd glasses up <laughs> but it was the first time I've ever had somebody that I don't work with in the gaming industry talk about using VR in a work setting huh. and that's just my personal experience and it was really fascinating that like oh yeah like VR is finally kind of permeated into all of these other spaces outside of these super technical fields to be like hey this is a tool that we can use to show people People. And I could see that I kind of like took the wind out of the guy's sails. And I was like, I don't need to put the VR headset on. And he was like, but you don't want to see what it looked. And I was like, I don't know. No. John and I were like, we, we literally like do VR all the time. We're good. We're good, bro. He and was he so was excited. so sad. Show you this new technology. <laughs> He's like, people really love it though. And I was like, oh, you mean people that don't own VR? That's okay. Like, we're not trying to say that it's not cool because it is cool because I think we all remember the moment we tried VR for the first time mm -hmm. and how it really did feel magical. It was like, wow, yeah. this thing just kind of works. Even back when I was using the Rift prototype, it still felt magical, yeah. even though that was broken AF. That was the one that was built duct tape, right? I remember that, yeah. yeah. It's come a long way <laughs> since then, that's for sure. And I think that this is really interesting. I just think for gaming, I don't think it has a place, really. And honestly, Reb, you touched on this. Like, There's lots of industries that can use this technology very naturally, right? Like endoscopic surgery. I came from healthcare, I know how valuable those tools can be, or even for astronauts, or as you mentioned, architectural industry, but it's not going to replace the laptop. Like if you have an architectural office, the administrative team is not going to use a, a Quest headset to do their work. You know, it's it's only going to be specific use cases. It's only going to be for client demos, surgeries, things like that. And it's definitely not replacing your day-to-day -day work hardware. Like it's just too expensive and too inaccessible. And honestly, it's great that it is being used for a lot of those cases where there's no other way to bring people in 
into another space from that perspective. But the technology just isn't seamless enough for most people to use it. I'm trying to envision like a business layout. Everyone in cubicles wearing VR headsets. Probably not like the the layout that they're talking about because I don't think that'll ever work. But yeah, I mean, that's I'm glad y'all brought that up because I hadn't really thought about that. And I think that's a really good point to make. And don't pitch your VR apps with Andrea's family because she will just shut you <laughs> down. Done that. Been there, Listen, done that. we are down. But like John used to like help greenlight games for PlayStation VR when he was at Sony. I think he's seen everything that is coming for VR for like the next couple of years. He's like, I don't know. I'm good. I'm good. I've had don't need to VR see any more VR. Don't want to put it on again. <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) Also, what happened is Xbox Cloud Gaming is coming to the MetaQuest store. So, Meta. I just feel dirty whenever I say Meta. You know what I mean? I just feel like... Why? I don't know. I just feel like I'm... Facebook. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. It's like the Meta. I don't know. I just feel weird I feel like they've been conned into something. Like, it was Facebook. That's what we all agreed it was called. And then someone came in and said, no, you have to say Meta now. And we're all like, no, we're not going to do that. But But here we are saying it. So who's the sucker? It's me. I'm the one. Zuckerberg. (laughs) Okay, anyway. Meta confirmed (laughs) that the Xbox Cloud Gaming Beta is coming to the MetaQuest store. This means you'll be able to connect an Xbox controller to your headset to play console games from the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate Library. No timeline yet for this. So, okay, cool. Right on. Go on with your bad stuff. Yep. Among Us VR is getting a November release date and it got a launch trailer. It is coming to MetaQuest 2 in Steam VR on November 10th and it will cost $9.99. Any interest in Among Us VR, ladies? No. Zero. I think it's so easy to play like on PC or mobile. I'm like, I can't imagine wanting to put the headset and all the apparatus on to play a game like Among Us. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at on Mm, VR generally. Like, I think the VR version of Among Us looks very cool. It's a wonderful idea to bring to VR as like a novelty that I do with my friends one time to see what it is. I I might do it. But on a day to day basis, why would if I want to play a video game, why would I put on an extra hat? to do that like a really heavy hat whenever I want to play video games that's gonna leave marks on your face for literally hours yeah, after my glasses are getting pushed down my face the glasses yeah. the glasses yeah mm-hmm. okay well there's that we also have Marvel's Iron Man VR coming to Quest 2 which was previously exclusive to PSVR coming on November 3rd if that gets your panties in a tight bundle good for you um, three studios joined Oculus Studios, including Resident Evil 4 VR developer. So Meta announced that it acquired Armature Studio, which is the studio behind Resident Evil 4 VR, which was very well received. So good get for them. The VR port of the horror classic was a huge hit. I just said that, IGN. Winning the best VR AR game at the Game Awards. Meta also confirmed its acquisitions of Camouflage Team and Twisted Pixel, developers of Marvel's Iron Man VR and Path of the Warrior. Meta said that'll be a while until it reveals what they're working on. We got The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners Chapter 2 coming on December and just some other stuff too. So, you know, again, like it's always fascinating to kind of follow the VR industry. It's a technology that in the very beginning, I was an early adopter. I bought almost, I think, every VR headset you could get. And then I think I just had a little too high expectations as to what VR could be. And it's slowly kind of shifting and getting to that position where I'm like, okay, like I'm getting curious to get back in, especially with PSVR 2 and the lack of that cable cluster, which I never want to deal with again. I think, Andrew, you also were like me and you had a whole ass PS4 set aside just for VR. Obviously, we are in a very privileged position to have multiple consoles, being that both me and my husband work in the gaming industry and he, at the time, worked for PlayStation. And so we, in order to make it easier, we just dedicated one console purely to 
into VR. So that way we could keep everything connected and set up and just kind of dedicate that library towards that. But the hard part for me is that, you know, it's it still is difficult, even with the Quest 2, which was really innovative and revolutionary for VR with its wireless capabilities and how it still felt really crisp and powerful and the experience was nice. It's just like everything in VR, like requires extra effort and it's sometimes tough to want to make that extra effort for the experience but the experiences are getting really great like the people who are in vr and really dedicating their resources to making games specifically for vr are doing some really cool stuff it's just not a lot of people are getting to see it and that's kind of heartbreaking yeah well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, if you're into Meta, MetaQuest. There's your update, courtesy of What's Good Games. And we have more news to get into, but first, we have a word from this week's sponsor. Today's episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by Shopify. Are you an online creator or maybe you run a business and you want marketing made simple? Well, Shopify removes the complicated guesswork thanks to built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze your online marketing campaigns. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether your thing is vintage teas or maybe you make recipes for ghee, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions for your favorite business businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll create an online store with your vibe, discover new customers, and join the platform simplifying commerce for people all over the world. Shopify has sales channels sorted so your business keeps growing from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free libraries of educational content, Shopify's got you every step of the way. We've loved using Shopify here at What's Good Games for custom merch for our patrons, whether it be t-shirts or those awesome What's Good Games water bottles. They make it easy to set up and run an online store or even sell items in person, which we're going to do again someday, I promise you. When you're ready to launch your own thing into the spotlight, you can do it with Shopify, the commerce platform backing millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Go on, try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. Did I mention it's free? You can sign up at shopify.com slash what's good. All lowercase, by the way. Go to shopify.com slash what's good to start selling online today. That's shopify.com slash what's good your brain needs support and new ollie brainy chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health made with scientifically backed ingredients like thai ginger l-theanine and caffeine brainy chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus stay chill or get energized be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
We have some in case you missed it. Silent Hill movie director says, quote, multiple Silent Hill games are in development. This comes from IGN. So the Silent Hill movie director, Christoph Gans, may have confirmed that multiple Silent Hill games are indeed in the works. So he directed the 2006 film Silent Hill and has previously teased his involvement in a new Silent Hill movie. So in a recent interview, he spoke about the future of Silent Hill and he teased what's to come. Quote, I'm working with the Silent Hill team, the original creators at Konami. There are several games in development as we speak. There are several teams on it with a big line of games. They will revive the franchise. I think they were really impressed of the success of the remakes of Resident Evil that are evidently exceptional games. All right. Does anyone care about Konami Silent Hill games? I think a lot of people I do. Mean, I know. <laughs> a lot. A lot. I think the reason why Silent Hill has gotten a lot of buzz is Guillermo del Toro was famously attached to help make Silent Hill. Obviously, Hideo Kojima was also attached to bring back Silent Hill. And I think it's one of Konami's few franchises outside of Metal Gear that could be given the full remake treatment and do really well. I think there's been a renaissance in horror games over the last couple of years in particular. They would be great, but Konami Konami has not made any indications that that's what they want. So this is pretty big news from somebody who's not at Konami. And so I would obviously need some corroboration from literally anybody in the video game industry who's not a movie director just like relaying either what he heard or, you know, hopefully what he saw. I don't know. I, I'm taking this with a grain of salt. I love it when it. people who don't work in the industry spill the beans on very sensitive information because they just <laughs> don't know any better. They're like, oh, it's just those video games that those kids play. I could talk about all these plans. It makes me laugh. I mean, I've been in the camp that there's obviously, I mean, I think it's obvious there are some Silent Hill shenanigans coming where there's smoke, there's fire. There has been a lot of smoke. So we have the rumored Silent Hill 2 remake that's supposedly being worked on by Bloober team. We've talked about that a lot on the show. And there's too many coincidences. We know that they are working with Konami on a quote strategic cooperation agreement. There's been some leaked slides. The composer of Silent Hill worked on a Bloober title. So there's just been a lot. So, you know, I don't know if I've talked about this, but I've never finished a Silent Hill game before because when I first started playing them they were way too spooky. Resident Evil is creepy but Silent Hill filled me with a sense of dread that I couldn't like quite handle at that age and I never went back so maybe that's something I should do but there's also the Silent Hill a short message game that was just rated by the South Korea game rating committee. There's been some other concept art leaks so yeah like at least like these two I think are legit but but we'll see. Rebecca, are you a Silent Hill fan? Not especially. I just know how many people love it and how well-respected it is. And I think if there were a new Silent Hill with some oomph behind it, whether that's a remake or a new thing or whatever that is, I might be inclined to give it a chance. It just, you know, it missed me at the time. I really want to play it. But again, like I have this weird innate fear of those games and I don't know what it is, but you know, you know I got to play it. It's kind of my shtick now. I have no excuses. I, I think you can go and tackle it now because I, I know the feeling is like me staying away from Resident Evil for so many years, right? Like I just didn't do it because I had this, I was terrified of like the dogs that I kept seeing in the trailers. I was like demon Fair. dogs. I don't want, I want any part of that. And then your fandom and enthusiasm for that franchise encouraged me to try the Resident Evil 2 remake. And I was like, this was really well done. And I got to see the parts of the franchise that weren't focused on jump scares, right? The, the level design, the puzzles, the world building, right? Mm -hmm. The things that you really love about that as a fan. So maybe if if this remake comes to fruition and is actually announced at some point, you will be encouraged by other people's fandom to do this. I think I will be because the last time I played Silent Hill, Andrea, I was 15 and I had a boy over and he brought it over and we played it together. And I remember thinking he had weird feet. <laughs> That's 
Not all remember from well, Silent Hill. <laughs> so no, some, some people it. have weird feet. Indeed. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of the few PlayStation Two discs that I still physically own. Oh wow! I have my PS Two and I have a disc for Silent Hill Two. Well, there you go. I'll, I'll play it with you and just don't judge my feet. I don't. I don't need any okay. coming back on me, please. <laughs> I'm gonna have to find some component cable dongles. In dongles. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but we should play next time you come into That'll town. Be really fun. I'll, I'll dust the PS Two. Perfect. <laughs> Is anyone excited for a new Crash Bandicoot announcement that's probably coming at the Game Awards? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Oh, there we go. Okay. okay. like a crash. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what's been going on there, influencers, have been receiving gifts promoting the upcoming Steam release of Crash 4. It's about time. It looks like a pizza box with labels highlighting Crash 4's October 18th PC release date, but also on the box is a little message teasing Wumpa Pizza available for $12.08. This price happens to be the same date as this year's Game Awards, which will take place on December mm. 8th. Mm. Get all hot and bothered. I love some smart that cookies. Is smart. I think that's so cute and clever. Yeah. And also, I just really want pizza. That's a fun teaser. It is. And I wish there's actual pizza in it, but that might <laughs> have not lasted very well. And then a story near and dear to my heart, because this makes me feel like I have a chance. World's largest Pokemon collection is expected to sell for 300,000 pounds, ladies and gentlemen. So the world's largest collection of Pokemon cards, figures, games, and more is expected to sell in the UK later this month or up to 300,000 pounds, $338,000. This seems low. I'm just going to call no, it out right now that I, like, my thought is like, wow, that's I it? I think if this had happened a couple years ago, like the high, okay, we'll get into this one's on. The collection of Pokemon merchandise, which has been verified by Guinness World Records as the biggest, was amassed over 25 years it includes 20,000 individual items. Highlights of the collection include sealed packs of the Pokemon trading cards game base, Team Rocket, and Jungle sets, alongside a Shadowless base set Blastoise and the Pichu and Squirtle Polka Dolls among the first plushies released in Japan. And so I think if there were some other highlights in here, it's like a first edition box of Pokemon Booster Pack. Like those went for so how much back in the day? Or like the Charizards during the first edition Charizards. I think if this had happened at the peak of the pandemic when Pokemon was at like a fucking like when everyone was losing their minds over it, I think this would probably go for a lot more. I've been watching the value of some cards and they've just dropped pretty dramatically because I guess everyone's over it. But anyway, yeah, like I think that's just missing a few key pieces that would probably really jack up the price of this. But, you know, I have a large collection of Pokemon and so maybe someday I can sell myself for $338,000 and I'll go to Berlin and I'll tell Steimer, you called me a whore, but look who's rich now, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> We also don't know, I mean, this is the largest collection of Pokemon merchandise, so it's not explicitly just trading cards. It's, right. you know, random other bits of stuff. And I, I have not opened this article. I, I did not write this. And you don't I, write not, everything at IGN, Rebecca? <laughs> I, have not, I have not read it in full. So I I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's information on that somewhere, but we don't know, like, what condition it's all in. I, I can imagine any number of random Burger King Pokemon toys that are not necessarily in great condition or are not necessarily worth very much it's largest in volume so i'm mm -hmm. sure there's tons of junk pokemon merchandise that you can find a ton of online that is worth a couple bucks per item and so i'm sure that's part of it too but if anybody had twenty thousand individual items of pokemon stuff it'd be you it would be me. so i'm looking at this article from december 2021 and this is probably why that seems low logan paul drops 3.5 million 
Edition on first edition base set Pokemon cards. So he also bought a PSA 10 rated Charizard that's worth $550,000 during his fight with Floyd Mayweather. And then apparently, yeah, he bought 11 first base edition boxes and spent $3.5 So like... <laughs> $3.5 million oh dollars on Pokemon cards. That is absolutely To be <sighs> that man and live that life and be like, this is what I'm going to do. No. I'm just going to do it. Oh, maybe it was just one At box. least Mr. Beast like gives cash to random yeah. strangers and improves their life. Maybe it was only you know? one box he bought. I don't know how many boxes he bought. I don't even know. But anyway, yeah, what a time to be alive when Pokemon cards are going for that much. I unfortunately do not have $3.5 million worth of merchandise, but maybe someday it'll amass to that. And then again, I'm going to go to Berlin and look at Simon dead in the eye and she will kiss my feet and apologize. Before we move on to the second segment of the Wesco Games podcast, Rebecca, I wanted to talk to you about a story you published last week titled, How a Plants vs. Zombies Game Died So a Star Wars Game Could Live and Then Also Die. So I've been working on this for like six, seven months now, something like that. It's been a really long process. I spoke to some folks who worked in and around EA PopCap Vancouver who were connected to this project in various ways. And there was a uh, Plants vs. Zombies adventure game that was in development at PopCap Vancouver in 2015 and 2016. It was very, I've, I've seen some gameplay footage. It was very, it was almost like Ratchet and Clank-like a little bit. It had open corridor progression. Combat was intended to be a little bit like Arkham games. And yeah, it was this one wonderful little adventure game about this young boy named Eddie who goes mm -hmm. on a summer vacation and it's Plants vs. Zombies so the zombies get up to shenanigans there's time traveling involved and he pairs up with a pea shooter plant which if you played Plants vs. Zombies you've seen those little guys they're very cute and they bond they become friends and they go on this time traveling adventure to sort of stop the zombie shenanigans and it was it was in development it was going really well from what I can tell like I mean I there's a video attached to the article at IGN.com oh yeah we're looking at it there there were no weird setbacks, no technical hurdles. Like th there was basically nothing to indicate that this project wasn't going to go through. And they basically had this presentation in 2016 where they took it to some higher ups at EA to be like, hey, this is how far we've gotten. This is what we're working on. We need a green light to continue. And the presentation seems to have gone well too and everyone was happy with it. But this team of like 30 people was very skilled. They were very, they're, a lot of them were veteran developers. They were very skilled in the Frostbite engine. And somewhere in the course of this presentation, either before or after, the higher ups they were pitching it to said, well, actually we need these 30 very skilled and talented people to go work on Visceral Star Wars Project Ragtag. So they canceled this game, which is called Codename Project Hot Tub. It was a time travel game, so it's Hot Tub Time Machine. Uh, uh, I like that. But yeah, they, they canceled Project Hot Tub and they took those 30 people and they put them on Project Ragtag. And as we know, now that has now also been canceled a few years ago and so now those developers are just kind of scattered across various ca studios are not working there anymore and it was never brought back but yeah i mean you're if you're watching the video version of this you can see the gameplay now it's looked really cool i mean what you're looking at is like like pre-alpha stuff it was a vertical slice of gameplay that was intended to be shown in a presentation to higher up so obviously it doesn't look super smooth and perfected at this point but the whole point was just to yeah the concept and show off that they could you know do what they were trying to say that they could do and i think looks kind of cool i would have played this yeah i would have played this too i love plants for zombies i mean i've i've played the tower defense thing the thing that game quite a bit and then i hopped into the garden warfare uh, that was more my style but there's a certain charm to that ip but to peel the curtain back a little bit i guess i'd love to know how did you even start this investigation into this game how did it even come to be i mean i can't say too much about it because i don't want to like sure. out people but i had some folks approach me with okay. saying that they were aware of this thing. It had actually been mentioned a couple times 
times before as I started to dig into it. It was very, very briefly mentioned. I don't have the link or the name in front of me, but there was a Kotaku report a couple of years ago that was specifically about Project Ragtag that mentioned there had been a Plants vs. Zombies game in the works that they moved a bunch of those team members over for. And then actually earlier this year, there were some tweets with uh, even earlier uh, visuals of this game that went out. Apparently, I guess the images were taken off an artist's portfolio or something where they were talking about canceled projects. And then that portfolio was deleted because they realized they weren't supposed to post those. And then the tweet was up when I started this project and I found this tweet with these images. And then I think when I started asking around to get more corroboration for this story, EA got wind of it because in the process of me working on this story, the tweet got deleted and the account got nuked. (laughs) It's still available on the web archive though. And I had downloaded the images, so I still have them. But yeah, it had been sort of circulating around very quietly before, but there were just some folks who were interested in talking about it. And I was able to dig up a little more research and get some more folks to talk to me. And yeah, it worked out. I know they say never to read the comments, but I hopped into the comments. And I will say IGN's comment section has gotten a lot better from when I last remember it, which is very cool. Maybe that's shout out to the moderation team. But yes, I, actually, sorry, okay. I'm going to stop yeah. you and say shout out to Jada, our community manager, who in the last, she's been with us for like a little over a year. She has freaking transformed that comment section, her and the team of moderators. Like they have put in a ton of work to make that space a lot better and a lot safer. And you know, it's not perfect. I mean, it's still a comment section, but they do a lot. And Jada and that team are just incredible. So sorry, I just wanted to interject there because you were absolutely right. It is awesome. Absolutely shout out to that team because I was, I was like, oh, there's actual discussions happening in here. But what I thought was really interesting is while I was reading those, I think we as folks who comment on the industry on a weekly basis, we know people who work behind the scenes. This sort of story isn't something unfamiliar to us, right? We, we've right. seen this happen time and time again, but I think for you know the average consumer or gamer, they don't quite understand that this isn't an uncommon story. Right. And I love reading in the comments that people are like, oh, I didn't know like this is how it works. So this was really interesting. I you know had never read a story like this before. So I don't know, just props to you for kind of peeling the curtain back on that. I think it's it's important sometimes, you know. Thank you. There's other people who make beats out of sort of leaking things that are about to be announced, which is not my beat personally, and that's a whole different discussion. But I, I think in this case, this is a game that is not, unless EA does a really hard pivot, and they didn't respond to my request for comment, so I, I assume they're not going to. Uh, this game's never coming out. We're literally never going to get this. Journalism is not altruism, but sort of, I guess, one of the hopes is that now people who had worked on this, who had put energy and time and resources into this, who, for two years, who were never able to talk about it, never able to put it in their portfolios, never able to say in like job applications and resumes that they had worked on it. Now they can at least maybe point to this article and say, hey, like you can see a little bit of that. That was me. I worked on that. And so, you know, hopefully that's sort of a beneficial side effect of this being out there. Viva Eddie and the pea shooter. Yeah, we love them. We, we love, love them. I think it's a comment also on how different of a company EA was at the time that this was in development versus where they are now because they, you know, until Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order had a very multiplayer live service focused kind of MO where they, all of their stuff that they were greenlighting and funding was really like, it must be around this. I mean, look what happened to Anthem, right? Like we, I think that's like a cautionary tale of the decision-making that was going on during that period of time. And now we're seeing these types of family games becoming much more popular, becoming financially successful and solvent. 
And it's almost like a shucks, like wrong place, wrong time kind of a thing. It could have been a really amazing success story if that game had started development in like 2020 or 2021, yeah. you know, instead of, you know, when it did. But I think it looks cool too. The Plants vs. Zombies, Garden Warfare, both of them did really great yeah. for EA. So why we haven't seen more of that franchise is a little bit of a head scratcher. It's possible that the Fortnite and Robloxes of the world just kind of came in and took so much of the market share that they're trying to figure out like how to navigate those waters. But I agree agree that something like this could have done really, really great. So yeah. it's a bummer. Yes. Well, good work, Rebecca Valentine. You're Thanks. a badass. That's why I introduced you as such to the top of the show. Always appreciate the kind of work that goes into stories like this. And just a shout out to everyone out there doing this kind of work. It's not easy. You know, you have a nice cohesive article at the end of the day, but like all the work that goes into that, the research, the verifying of assets, it's, it's a lot of work. So props to you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I get to talk about my time with the Dead Space remake. Rebecca's been playing some games I've literally never heard of, and I'm really excited to hear what that's all about. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Games second segment. This is where we talk about what we've been playing and any preview events we've been to. And we have some fun stuff to talk about this week. So ladies, we have my Dead Space remake hands-on. We have Andrea's Disney Dreamlight Valley that she's been playing. And Rebecca's been playing Splatoon 3 and a game Shin-Chan, Me and the Professor on Summer Vacation that sounds like a romance novel if I've ever heard of one. So <laughs> where do we want to start? I mean, I think we obviously start with Dead Space. (laughs) They dropped this trailer last week, and Emily and I didn't show it or talk about it because they kind of dropped it pretty close to when we were recording, and so I didn't get a chance to fully look at it. But then you were like, yo, I'm going to play, and I was like, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) And play I did. Okay, yeah, so I got to play the Dead Space remake, so thank you, EA Motive, for the opportunity to go about four hours hands-on with this, which is a nice meaty demo, which I so greatly appreciate because oftentimes these demos are like 45 minutes and I fly all day just to play them, but I do it because I love you. Okay, anyway, so Dead Space. So the original release in 2008, and it's fun because this is one of the first games I ever remember blogging about on my old IGN blog back in the day. So it's kind of come full circle, which is fun for me. So if you don't know, Dead Space is set in the early 2500s where humanity has finally been able to colonize other planets because by the 23rd century, humanity sucks, and we've used up all of Earth's natural resources. And so we've developed these things called planet crackers, which are these huge mining spaceships that go from planet to planet and they harvest resources and humanity thrives. Yay. So the story takes place abroad the planet cracker vessel called USG Ishimura. And someone on this crew is a medical officer named Nicole Brennan, who is the girlfriend of systems engineer Isaac Clark. And she sends a really cryptic distress signal to him. And she's like, oh no, shit's bad. And he's like, oh no, not my woman. And I, he doesn't really say that. That's all me. So he he goes to the Ishimura with a crew of other folks and they get there. And of course, when they try to dock, shit goes wrong and there's necromorphs and it's real bad. They're like, oh, no, we, we're here. Why is everything so quiet? And why is everyone dead? Oh, necromorphs. So that's kind of the premise. And the idea is try to get the ship up and running and find out what happened to Nicole and if you can save her or not. And so the original game has always just kind of been a staple of the survival horror genre. I loved it so much. It was 
one of the first games that I tried to play. Couldn't play because it was too freaky, but then I powered through. It's just a classic. And if you haven't played the original Dead Space, I would highly recommend you do it. It still holds up. It's still a really fun game to play. So this is a full-on remake of that game. And I'm so happy that they're going the Resident Evil 2 route of remake, which is keeping the main story beats, but reimagining and modernizing it for today. And so I guess like the first thing I want to talk about that really made me happy was Isaac Clark as a character himself. Now in Dead Space 2 and 3, he has a voice. He can talk. In the first Dead Space, he's just a silent protagonist and he just grunts a lot. But in this one, he actually chitty chats and it's the same voice actor returning who voiced him in Dead Space 2 and 3. And one of my complaints about the original Dead Space was that for being an engineer, Isaac Clark is always being told what to do. Everyone's always telling him like, Isaac, do this. Isaac, do that. Go fix this. Go fix that. And because he doesn't have a voice, it just came across as annoying nagging. But now he has a personality and he has an identity and he's able to tell Hammond, who was one of the other characters, and Daniel's one of the other characters that's with him, what to do and how to fix the ship. And to me, this just feels really natural and this feels like how it should have been all along. And I know that's a change that some people have you know, been looking forward to and some others have been a little unsure of because you know when a character doesn't speak you kind of can put yourself into them and become them but I think him having a personality and sounding like an engineer is like definitely 100% the right call. The other thing that made me all feel warm and fuzzy well I guess as warm and fuzzy as you can feel when there are necromorphs trying to eat you is the idea that the crew that's there is much more fleshed out. There's a lot more realistic conversations, reactions, and banter between them and it's not that idea of, oh no, this happened two minutes ago. Oh, well, we're over it now. This is the norm. Let's try to get out of here. It makes the story feel much more cohesive. It flows a lot better. And the devs have said from the get-go that they're going to be taking Dead Space 2 and 3 and the lore and the story that unfolds that and kind of incorporating it into the first Dead Space so it all kind of fits together as a trilogy. And definitely from the get-go, I've noticed that. One of the first things I found was a data pad on Isaac Clark, which goes into his life, his parents, and it really gives you an idea of who he is. And that's something that you, some that information you don't find out until you play the later games. There's also a lot of talks about unitology, which is the main Dead Space Religion, which plays a huge role in all the other games and doesn't really come to fruition. You don't really get to learn about it towards the end of the first Dead Space. But in this one, within I feel like an hour or two, it's like unitology. This is what it is. This is why it's important. And you're able to piece together the story, whereas I feel like the first one was a lot harder to follow. So they're really taking that to heart and incorporating a lot of fun story plots and beats earlier on and kind of reimagining it. And I think that's lovely. There's new holograms with Nicole, with the chief science officer, with other staff on there. And you're able to, again, like get an idea of who these characters are. Whereas in the original one, they don't really show up till towards the end. And then at that point, for me anyway, I was like, who are these people? Why does it matter? But it sounds like you're going to know who they are and why they matter much earlier on. Which again, like that's how it should be in this kind of remake. It's lovely. Some other bonuses I noticed that are you know worthy of talking about here is the map is way easier to read this time. The map from the first Dead Space is just like, oh god, it makes my eyes bleed. It's so awful. It's kind of like that latest Star Wars game where it's that 3D ickiness and it's really hard to follow. It's one of those 3D digital maps and I hate those. The objective line, I don't know what its actual name is, but it's back and that's the thing where you push a button and a little laser goes on the ground and it shows you exactly where you need to go, which is just one of the best features ever, especially in a game like Dead Space where it's just a whole bunch of doors and corridors. 
And I like that this time around it actually shows your objective, which again, I think leans itself into being more narrative focused, which makes me nice and happy. You have your shortcuts from the other dead spaces, B to heal, Y to recharge your stasis. So it's very much more convenient to play. New puzzles, I found some new puzzles in there. They were pretty basic, but they were like, hey, here's a fuse box, light this one to open this door and light this one to open that door. And you'd have to figure out which door you can go in. And sometimes one would just have extra ammo and the other one would have more story elements that you actually needed to proceed. So that was pretty cool. So overall, like so far before I get into one of my favorite parts, which is probably the grossest part of this remake, I just gotta say like, it plays great. It looks great. The levels just have been all redesigned and the Ishimura in the first game feels just like a bunch of dark corridors and metal, lots of metal, lots of metal rooms. And this one, each room and each level tells a certain story and everyone knows that's my favorite thing ever. You go back to my Resident Evil 2 remake preview with the toilet paper. I had the big one over toilet paper. I don't know if you remember, but I did. So I love... <laughs> um, How could we forget your obsession with the toilet paper? Uh, I know trailer. it's so it's so stupid but re like Reb what we're getting at here is there's lots of attention to detail in the level because like in Resident Evil 2 remake there was some toilet paper I'm like yes toilet paper that means they were trying to survive and hunker down and I went on a whole fucking rant about toilet paper and Andrea and Simon bless their hearts were so patient with me and let me live my best life but yeah we're seeing some of that in this Dead Space remake and so that's also just wonderful it's spookier than ever there's a lot more I guess jump scares is what yeah they're, they're jump scares they don't feel cheap and they don't feel tacky the pacing is really great before in the original it feels like every room you go in you're going to find necromorphs you're going to find some sort of thing that's trying to kill you and you you expected it and that kind of made it lose its its tension but in this one it's all over the place in a good way you never know if something's actually going to jump out of that vent or if it's just going to burst open and nothing's going to be behind it or if you're gonna hear the clanging above you or below you or behind you, or if something's ever gonna pop up. And I definitely screamed a few times and yelled some profanities, which is embarrassing because the room is dead silent because everyone's playing with headphones. So cool, you got me. <laughs> but okay, so the combat. So the combat is more or less the same. You have your cool plasma cutter, your rifle, et cetera, et cetera. But the peel system, the peel system is really, really, really fun. It's really gross, but like, here we go. Let's talk about it. So you have your necromorphs. They're these like wild alien things. And the key to shooting them and killing them is to cut off their limbs. And how you do that is you blow them off with your weapon of choice. With the peel system, the bones, the tendons, the flesh, like it all reacts to what you're using to shoot those limbs off. And it's a really good indicator to how much progress you have to go before you can actually like kill the necromorph. And so I'd be using my plasma cutter and be like, okay, I think I have one or two more shots left and then this one should be killed. And it was accurate, I could tell, because I was chipping away at its appendage and again like it's gross and weird and I'm sure if Steve Spawn were here he'd have a help sign flashing up and down because <laughs> I mean should I get help I can put it on screen because it sounds disgusting to me this idea that you have to gamify slowly slicing off different limbs I'm just like oh. horror baby survival horror charm I know I know gross. but it's really good Rebecca's face is like oh. <laughs> Not for me, but sounds very well done for the target audience. So kudos. <laughs> what a nice statement. Thank you. The other thing is, what's new to this are their side quests. And I didn't get to dabble too much into it, but there is one where I have to follow Nicole's footsteps. And again, the fact that they're giving Nicole more screen time is just 
so needed and so great. We're going to actually learn what kind of person she was. And so what the side quest was is just kind of follow her footsteps. Follow, she went into the emergency room, go into the emergency room, watch a hologram of her play out. And like, oh no, she seemingly walks into a wall. That can't be right. So you have to find like, where's the hidden door or the hidden switch that's going to allow you to follow her and see what happened to her ultimately. And I didn't have enough time to actually spend enough time to actually see that side quest through to the end. But that alone has me really excited to see what other kind of side quests are going to be in this game. I did play a normal difficulty and that is definitely the difficulty you want to play if you want that real balanced survival horror aspect. The ammo was felt very limited or maybe that was because I was shooting everything. I did have to bump it down at one point because there were some technical issues and my shooting reticle disappeared and I tried Ooh. to big girl it out and be like, I can play this without a shooting reticle. Blech. Well, yeah, that seems like a no it, well, in a game where you have to accurately shoot the limbs of something. Oh, it was terrible. It was awful. So I bumped it down briefly. And I will say that if you're wanting baby ass baby mode, it's very baby ass baby mode. And you'll be able to enjoy the game that way. Very excellent. excellent yeah. News. And then, then I fixed the, <laughs> the problem and I got my reticles back and then I stumped on some asses. But yeah, like I'm just really, really excited for this remake. Those were mostly like the specifics I wanted to get into. But yeah, overall, they, they're just taking this game and they understand the tone of this game. And it's always interesting when you take a title that's been around for a while and you air quote reimagine it. You know, I think about Resident Evil 2. I think about Final Fantasy 7. And when it's done correctly, that version of the game can feel like the definitive version of, you know, between the two. And I feel like just from what I've played, that this is hands down going to be the definitive version of Dead Space. It's going to be the best version of it it can be. I walked away with a really, really good feeling and I didn't want to stop. I mean, four hours with the demo sometimes can go by very slow especially when you have to sit on your butt for four hours. But man, they went by so fast. And I'm really excited for what Motive is doing. And I mean, yeah, just thrilled. I was really thrilled with this demo. Very excited. <sighs> hey, Britt, were you excited about playing Death Space? No. I couldn't tell. <laughs> no, not at all. I've, I've been holding on to the, these emotions for weeks now, and I haven't been able to talk about it. And now they've all burbling and gurgling out of me. I am curious to see how many people are going to give this a try, knowing that this is a brand of horror that is even tougher fans of horror games to go after because it's so gruesome and so violent in a very specific uh -huh. way. Whereas Resident Evil 2 Remake was a lot more about like atmospheric storytelling. And obviously there's some gruesome stuff in there too, but it's nowhere near their scale that Dead Space yeah. is. Yeah, no, this is definitely a different kind of horror. I will say it did seem like they leaned on atmospheric horror a bit more in this one, which is very welcome and needed. But yeah, I mean, like, it's very gory. Very, very gory. And Resident Evil had that. But mostly when I think of Resident Evil, maybe it's just because I'm numb to that whole series. Like, it doesn't really freak me out. I just think of mostly adventuring and puzzle solving. And once, you know, every now and again, you're going to come across a liquor or a zombie. But you're never, I don't know, it's just, it never feels hectic. And this, this game definitely is more of a hectic, fast-paced horror game. So yeah, definitely going to be interested to see how they overlap and who's going to enjoy it. So that said, Andrea, are you even going to touch this one or are you like, nope? Well, I feel like I need to give it a shot 
especially since there's a baby ass baby mode. Uh, I did play the original. I didn't finish the original. I got a couple hours in and was like, you know what? Don't need this in my life. Eh, a little stressed out. And I might feel that same way now, but it's it's so tough knowing that this is happening at the same time Callisto Protocol is also coming as well. And they feel like they're going to go head to head in competing directly for dollars because obviously <laughs> it's like Callisto Protocol is like a spiritual successor yeah. to, to Dead Space and a lot of ways and so i'm going to definitely watch and see kind of like what the vibe is on both of those games is scorn out around a similar time i don't remember the release dates on all these things scorn is out now is it out now already let me see i have it written down right here scorn is out next week the 21st okay the only point i was trying to make is that it sounds like it's also you know the autumn of disgusting games it is i hate to say it but i'm loving it (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah, I mean, like I said, be excited. Well, we're we're happy for you. You live your best scary, spooky massacre. I kind of wish I didn't and... love these games, and I only liked things like Dreamlight Valley, which I mean, I do love because then I feel like I wouldn't subject myself to all this. But maybe it's kind of therapeutic. Who could say? You have therapy cutting the limbs off of weird aliens that are trying to eat your face, and I will have therapy collecting iron ore until I die. <laughs> Because that's all you do in Disney Dreamlight Valley is need iron ore. That's basically like your life is mining for iron ore. So I haven't really gotten a chance to talk about my time in Disney Dreamlight Valley. Of course, since we're talking about a Disney game, it's in the name, everybody. My husband works for Disney. Take a shot. Obviously, it has nothing to do with my opinions on this game, as I mentioned in the video I posted on Twitter. When I was a wee level like four, I think is when I posted that first look. And now I'm level 30, everybody. Wow. Wow. So, So put some time in and surprising nobody I'm completely hooked on this game like (laughs) surprise face this game is way better than it has any right to be Gameloft is clearly a seasoned developer but I've never seen a game like this from them and I've just been so happy that they've taken some of the pain points that I've had in Animal Crossing and kind of eliminated them now, they have introduced their own pain points in other ways, which we'll get into later. But the thing I think this game does so well is that, first and foremost, this is a Disney fan's dream game. Getting all of these different IPs with these characters together. And it feels like you get an intimate amount of time with these characters. Like, you can just hang out with Donald Duck. Like, Donald Duck feels like he's nowhere to be seen in modern Disney, right? Like, it's just really hard to find some of these characters outside of, like, the Mickey mouse club or whatever but you get to just walk around the world with anna and elsa from frozen or you can hang out with moana and maui and you know you have legacy characters and new characters all living in this shared space together interacting with each other and having their own conversations and it's weird and amazing at the same time and i love that the game gives you so many things to do but you could also just do nothing if you wanted to it's gonna be you know, more tough for you because you have to earn resources. And so that means you have to grind, hence, you know, the simulator part. But I think it's really fun that the game feels like it's given you a really good chase. And it's still in early access, which I am super excited to see like, on where the evolution of this game goes. Now, I want to first call out my concerns about how they're going to monetize the in-game currencies once it goes free-to-play. I think that's something a lot of players are concerned about, of like, what are the free-to-play mechanics going to turn into 
after early access ends. And we obviously don't know because they haven't given us any intimations about how that's going to go once the game fully launches into free to play. Now, would I prefer if I could buy my way into cosmetics? Absolutely. I think that that is a perfect way to incorporate a for pay mechanic in a free to play game that's, you know, all about grinding. But I don't know how I'm going to feel if you can really just buy your way into a lot of the grind mechanics. But even as I say that out loud, I'm like, does it really matter if it's not a multiplayer game? Mm. I don't know. Who are they hurting if they let you just buy as much coins and as much Dreamlight as you want? Dreamlight? Who gets hurt you buy by that? Dreamlight? So Dreamlight is a currency that you use to unlock ah. certain realms. So the TLDR and the narrative of this game is that you get into this valley and there's these night thorns, these big like gnarly looking like plants all over the place. And people don't remember who they are or what they're doing there because of this thing called the forgetting. This dark magic has permeated the valley and it's up to you to save the valley and restore everybody's memories. And as you go through and purge these dark thorns and the dark magic from different sectors of the valley, you earn dream light. You also earn dream light by doing basic tasks, what they call your dream light duties. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> your, your chores, everybody, your chores. And you can earn them in a variety of ways, really mundane ways by just mining for minerals, by fishing, by planting and harvesting, by doing quests for the different characters, by changing your outfit. Here's a hundred dream light wow. for you. And so it's very, you know, life sim in that way that you have these mundane tasks that you earn currency for, and then you earn big spots of currency for completing missions and things like that. You can also dig up these things called dreamlight shards throughout the valley as you're digging for resources, and then you can convert them into dreamlight. And then after you get a certain amount of dreamlight, you can open new areas. So there's different realms that you can open, and then there's different areas of the map. In the realms, which are in the dreamlight castle... They're a small contained world based on a very specific Disney IP. So the first realm that I opened was Remy's world from Correct. Ratatouille. <laughs> and did I maybe get some help from helpful hints watching my husband max out his level on this game before I did? <laughs> Who could say? It's been such a fun experience getting to play this game. And it's just so soothing. You know, you walk around, you get to have your buddies and each of the characters, you can assign them a buff for different tasks. So you can have a character who gives you extra resources when you're fishing. So Goofy and Kristoff are my two fishing pals. And you can have somebody give you a buff when you're foraging. So Remy is one of my foraging partners. And then Mother Gothel is one. Can we talk for a second about, first, how much I hate that Mother Gothel is in this <laughs> game? Of all the Disney villains that they could have picked, and there is a wide variety of them, really good ones that have a lot. Mother Gothel is the villain from oh, Tangled. Oh, she is the witch so Mother Gothel yeah. is the witch that steals Rapunzel from her parents as a baby. She's literally a baby kidnapper. Oh. And I get that all the Disney villains have their, you know, their downsides. <laughs> their bad things that they've done. But she's pretty irredeemable as like a child kidnapper in my mind. Of like, maybe we just don't make her like a playable character that you have to become best friends with in order to unlock certain quest items and uh, things. Like, uh, 
I don't want to do her any favors. <laughs> Every time I watch Tangle, because there's some really great music in that movie, I'm like, why do I like this movie? I don't. It's terrible. <laughs> it's all about a woman who steals a baby from two unsuspecting parents and then locks her away in a tower and tells her she can never leave or be friends with anybody. She's truly an irredeemable character. That is kind of an interesting choice uh, for a villain, isn't it? Because, I mean, I'm not saying that if you like Tangled, I like Tangled just fine. She's a perfectly, like, fine written villain. But of all the villains you could pick, like, we've got a sea witch, we've got Maleficent. Every yeah. other Disney villain is so much cooler, and I could justifiably try to be friends with them in a fantasy world because they're cool. What an interesting yeah. choice. Yeah, I don't know why Game Loft decided to go with her when they literally have the entire like Disney animated library pretty much at their disposal for this game. And we do see Scar in the key art for the game. Like, so when you boot up the game, you can see him. So I imagine an announcement for him is coming soon. And like you said, there's so many. I would love to see Maleficent in the game. I think the live action movies with Angelina Jolie put a really interesting spin on who she is as a character. But there's just so, so many Disney villains villains to choose from and I'm just like I just don't like her just don't like her I hate her but you know you got to work with her if you want to unlock it's all, things it's not a real friendship so. just keep telling yourself that I know. I do love how when you have conversations with characters, you have multiple options and you can just be a jerk to her at every point, which Good. which I do. I'm like, you're a bad person and you feel bad about yourself. And she's like, ah, I don't know why you're being so naughty. Mother knows best. Oh, <laughs> wow. I'm like, shut up, Mother Gothel. I hate you. <laughs> Oh but I'm really just loving the the deep mechanics of this game, how there's so many things to do. In fact, there's so many things to do. I haven't decorated like at what? all. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal for you. My The inside of my house is kind of embarrassing. <gasps> I've only upgraded my house I am once. shocked. Andrea, I am shocked. I know. I know. What's Who, who wow. am I? Who Amazing. is this person? Are you? When are you going to dabble into it? Like, are you actually Andrea? What's happening? Well, I... I think what I need to do is, so I have been doing some studying with the help of my maxed out level <laughs> partner. He's your Maria in this game. Um, the best ways to farm coins because <laughs> in Animal Crossing New Horizons, it was all about turnips, right? You had to have good turnip game selling turnips. And then you could also, you know, save and sell tarantulas and scorpions, right? Like, so that was another way to kind of farm to get bells really quickly in the game. And in Disney Dreamlight Valley, you have to make specific recipes and then sell the recipes in order to kind of farm coins quickly. And there's specific recipes that you can get using just the ingredients from Remy. So once you unlock Remy from his realm, you open Remy's restaurant. Once you upgrade him to to X amount of level, you can buy specific ingredients from him and then you can use those ingredients then make recipes that you then sell at one of Goofy's stalls. And this like gameplay loop allows you to kind of farm coins quickly. But in order to get to the point where you can farm, you have to spend a lot of time in the game upgrading all these different levels. So I'm not quite there yet. I'm almost Aww. there. But I'm there. so happy you're playing this. But yeah, I've it's been, fun. I've been yeah. curious. I'm having I'm having a great time. The fact that they have the mouse ears in the game as a hat you wear, I just uh I love it. Do I have too many like IRL ears in my closet? Yes, maybe. The Disney touches just make it so whimsical and so wonderful and 
I love that it's cross progression and I can't wait to really test out how that works, jumping between different platforms. And I don't know if they're going to incorporate multiplayer at some point. It'd be really cool if they did to be able to hang out with friends and see how they would be able to handle that. But I am really excited to see just how far they take this game. I'm having You're tempting me, but damn girl, I don't got time for that. I'm still trying to finish Xenoblade Chronicles 3 too. That's a whole, I haven't even talked about that on the show. Yeah. Beast. I mean, it's a yeah. time suck. If you like Life Sims, if you liked Animal Crossing, and you have any interest in Disney at all, like it's a really well, real, well a, done game. Rev, I'd love yeah. to hear about you. How about about you? What you're doing? But Brittany, you had a question. Is there a Lion King presence in this game? So okay. not yet, but like I said, the they the, in the key art, Scar is in the art. So when you boot up the game, there's like a big piece mm-hmm. of art, right? And Scar is in that art, and so is Stitch. And neither of those characters are technically in That's the game yet. Listen. But there's there's Lion King stuff that you can unlock in, in the uh, apparel. Okay. So to me, that all yeah. indicates that Lion oh, yeah. King stuff is and coming. And it's at that point. What, for sure? I don't know. At that point, but. when I will jump in and lose my life to it. But yes, Rebecca, I'd love to hear also, like Andrew was saying, what your impressions have been after playing it. How long have you been playing it? Not an awful lot. Not nearly as much. So I, I'm a big Animal Crossing. I played like 500 hours <laughs> of Animal Crossing. I think this does not appeal to me as much just because a lot of people like about Disney Dreamlight Valley that it is more scripted. There are more conversations you can have. There are all these quests that you can go on. There is a much longer term story, whereas Animal Crossing has a little story that stops and then after that it's very open-ended and emergent. I like that. I make up little narratives for the villagers in my head. I just like kind Mm. of wandering around and having it be open-ended and freeing. I don't enjoy this quite as much, but I still do enjoy it. The problem is I don't have time for this. And so I have trained myself not to open the game. If I do not (laughs) open the game, then we have no problem. But I played it a little bit when a little bit, I had like an early code for a little bit, then I played at the start of early access. The handful of times I have opened the game, I will play for like three, four hours. I cannot put the dang thing down uh, because it just, it gets those hooks in you and you're on, you're on that lovely little treadmill and you just cannot stop. You cannot stop because there's always one more thing to do, one more thing to do. It's very, very good. And there's, there's an entire Slack channel at IGN full of people who are in the same boat. Well, they probably like the game more than me, but they are also in the cannot put it down mode and are very high leveled. So I haven't I haven't gotten super far. I did Remy's stuff. I think I walked into whatever the next door is. I have unlocked that and I had to stop there and I have not reopened it because I've had too many other things to play, but it's good. I The thing that I keep thinking about is there are elements of it that I don't want to give the wrong impression. This is not a game that is remotely like Kingdom Hearts, but there is sort of a spirit to it that of all the Disney characters sort of coming together in one space and you being a person, a, a non-Disney character yourself who gets to interact with them all and they all have relationships and things. And I think there's been conversation in the Kingdom Hearts community about how it's kind of moved away from the Disney stuff, uh, especially with some of the more recent entries. I mean, the Disney characters are all still there, but it's more focused on the final fantasy-isms of it. And there's kind of worries about that. And this feels almost like maybe the tiniest little answer to that. Like if you really missed hanging out with all the Disney characters, this is all right too. It's like your own little hollow bastion where everybody is kind of hanging out together. And there's themes of memory and light and darkness. And there's a mysterious missing ruler. So you, you get all the, a lot of similar vibes. Yes. And some of the characters are just so they pleasant. Are. Like Anna from Frozen just says the sweetest things to you all the time. And I'm just like, 
how nice to be in like a virtual world where a character is just kind to you. That's a good point. Like, I was like, oh, this makes me I feel love that good. They're keeping- like, I, I boot up the game and I feel good afterwards. I mean, yeah. I feel tired because I should be in bed and not playing the game. But I love that I feel they've good. kept Merlin alive from Sword in the Stone for so long. That is a fairly old Disney movie that I think like never gets its dues. But Merlin sticks around and people like Merlin. So I'm glad he's he's still kicking around the Disney IP library doing stuff. You can't no. avoid him in the game. Like he's like he's a pivotal character that you have to go to all the time in the game. So he's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to play. Good. Damn it, Bree! You were at New York Comic Con. I was New York Comic Con adjacent, so okay. I I was in New York during the time of Comic Con, um, but didn't actually attend the con. I was actually working mm-hmm. event with Elphonic. So shout out to Elphonic, Sharon Garrison, and Elise and James for writing on this new video game called Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed. It's coming out October 18th, and we did a launch party. And I won't get into too much of it because this is not a hashtag ad. Essentially, five v one multiplayer. It's asymmetrical. You could either be a ghost or you could be one of the Ghostbusters. There are a couple of characters you'll recognize from the original movie and also a few new faces. So I've heard good things. I haven't played yet. I'm actually supposed to play tonight. So right after we're recording this and I'm excited to see how it feels. But yeah, it seems like people really enjoyed it. The event was a lot of fun and I loved working with that team over the past weekend. And while I was in New York around the time of Comic-Con, I also had the opportunity to chat with some of the folks at PDP. So they make different controllers and different gaming accessories. And one of the ones that I will be testing out hopefully soon in the coming weeks, once it's available for public consumption, is uh, the Victrix Pro, which is fascinating. And, And I'll have a lot more to say about it next week. But essentially, imagine a controller that is modular that you can change the layout for all of the buttons in order to... To accommodate different types of games that you're playing. So you could have a fighting game layout, you could have a sniper layout, you could have a layout for any adventure gaming that you're doing. So that one was pretty ah. interesting. Yeah, a couple more that I really, really liked. They had some Nintendo rematch controllers that, Bernie, I think you might enjoy. One of them has a bunch of toads that are glow in the dark on it. Very cute. <gasps> Very, very cute. And then they also had these Xbox controllers that are called Afterglow. So you can go to PDP's website and check those out. They have a lot of customization that you can put on them. And it is gorgeous. Like, imagine, like, the ultimate like LED, you know, RGB controller lights inside of whatever you're holding, but you can actually customize it to interact with the game that you're playing. So like if it's rumbling on the right hand side of a controller, you can customize it to like go through a series of colors to show it visually. So like the accessibility component to this is really fascinating to me, but it's also just really pretty because it's shiny lights that you can customize. So interesting. Wait, so what's the name of that That is the Xbox series Afterglow. So that is compatible with PC, Xbox Series X, and S. Ooh, okay, so I just pulled up their website. So let me uh, let me see if I can get my thing up here so I can show you guys what it looks like. Because you said, you know, you said the magic word about lighting. Oh, yeah. and that no, was shiny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My ears You hurts. know me, I'm a sucker for mm-hmm. RGB. <laughs> I have a problem <laughs> with things that light up. Wow. Um, oh, so that this does not is... look like a problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> right? Isn't it cool? So this is the Xbox Series X and S and PC white afterglow wave controller on PDP's website. And I'm like, hmm. And she that cute. price, looks it says that's the starting price, 44 And how does that work? Because that's reasonable as hell. That seems 
Oh, I think it's because it's oh, wired. Yeah, so right? so it is a wired controller. Of course, the cord is USB-C, so you can use it with any USB-C compatible cord. And as I said, it's for Xbox and any PC that gaming that you're doing. And what's really cool is that it actually has a QR code that you can scan on the box. And it takes you to the PDP app in your either on your Xbox or on your PC. And it takes you through all of the different panels of customization. So there's actually four points on each side. So four on the left, four on the right of customization where you can make the different lighting patterns. Cool. You can have it respond to the different inputs in the game. You can have it pulse or wave or be static or just flash on and off like it is very very customizable and it feels really really good in your hands and there's some additional functionality that's in this controller over your typical xbox controller as well don't want to bore everybody with all those technical details but long story short it's really pretty and it feels really good and i was very excited to get my hands on it so more to come on pdp controllers but yeah they have a lot of really fun custom stuff on their website that's fun it looks cool. I think we see that kind of technology already in keyboards, right, that are mm-hmm. wireless. So I hope that PDP can figure out a way to make it wireless because I think I don't want to say it's a deal breaker for me that it's wired, but because we've been in wireless controllers for so long now that I'm like, oh, I get why it's wired, but I just envision wire. my kid yeah. like pulling it, <laughs> tripping over it, my dog, my Roomba, just the whole thing. Me. Yeah. Get you? It. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's clearly designed for PC players who are using mm-hmm. a controller where you don't have this long cable going from your television mm-hmm. to your couch, right? But it's cool. But the, the Vitrix stuff is interesting because it reminds me a lot of the that custom Astro controller that they put out mm-hmm. a while back that was very much like the Elite controller, but different. You could, you know, really pull it out. And Mad Cats... <laughs> If that's a brand you haven't probably thought of in a while, actually had a controller that used to do this for uh, last generation of consoles as well. But this Vitrix one looks oh, yeah. really fancy. It is the fanciest. They, they have lots of layouts. And, and like I said, I'll have more details on it once I'm able to actually hold one and use it. But I did see a demo that wasn't quite ready for prime time. But it is very promising, especially if you're in the competitive gaming side. Awesome. Well, tune in next week for Reese's thoughts and all of the things. Be a good time. That's on things. <laughs> Rebecca, you have been playing a game that I know, Splatoon 3, I've heard of that, but these other two, I'm like, what the heck? So we have Shin-Chan, Mia and the Professor on Summer Vacation, and Purgatory Dungeoneer, which I haven't heard of that one either. So what do you want to talk about first? Uh, I will just say, I know you've talked about Splatoon 3 here before. Every evening I go get incredibly salty in that game. I am playing that so much right now and it just makes me it makes me furious. I, I'm not usually a competitive gamer, but Splatoon I love and... Mmm. Mmm. You want to rile me up, throw me into Splatoon, and let me lose a little bit. Uh, but you keep going back to it. I do. I love it. Love <laughs> it. I love the pain. Shin Chin, Me and the Professor on Summer Vacation came out a couple months ago. I'm playing it on Switch. I don't actually even remember what else it's on. If you've ever... There's an anime called... I'm not f- super familiar with it. Like, this was, this was a whole novel experience for me. It's, like, called Crayon Shin Chan or something. It's, like, super uh-uh. popular in Japan. It's about this little kid named Shin Chan, and he's... A little bit of a crass little kid who gets words backwards and gets up to shenanigans. It's about him and his family, and it's you know him being a little kid. So uh, definitely not a romance novel, like not I, remotely. Okay. No, no. Uh, okay, good to clear that up. <laughs> yeah, but the game does not require any prior knowledge of Shin Chan. You just know he's like a you know 
a little kid who doesn't know anything. And he goes on vacation with his family. It is a very, I don't know, it, I guess it's like maybe mainly a story exploration game. It's very chill. It's very nonviolent. But he goes on vacation out to the Japanese countryside with his family. If you like Japanese culture vibes, this is a great game for that. Oh, yeah, and there you go. And so he goes out to the countryside with his family for a week. And in the process, some weird supernatural things start happening. There's a weird professor who gives him this camera that he can take pictures with. And the camera seems to have some sort of power to bring things to life. There's dinosaurs at one point. There's just all these weird happenings. And Shin-Chan is just this innocent little kid who's sort of caught up in it. And so he spends his days fishing down by the creek, running around and gathering. There's like a little garden. He can grow carrots and other vegetables and give them to the restaurant. And then they will like reward him with pocket money for bringing him fresh vegetables. You can catch bugs uh, and take pictures of them. There's a whole bug catching element. Just wandering around and talking to people. And then at the beginning and end of each day, there's there's sort of weird little events that happen as his story progresses and you're encouraged. There's a whole bunch of things that are blocked off around the town. So there's like a construction site. There's all these funny things. Like there's there's one road that I tried to go down early in the game that has a big sign for a dentist office. And he walks up to it and it says, oh, Shin-Chan's afraid of the dentist. So he can't go down that road. So we're, we're not going there. I assume <laughs> it, later in the game, it will open up to me in some way. But it's all stuff like that. So you're, you're basically spending your day. You have like a little stamina meter. You can, you know, walk around for a certain amount of time before he needs to eat a snack or take a nap. And you're just sort of open-endedly wandering around and filling your little scrapbook full of pictures of bugs and little drawings of things that he did that day. And then meanwhile, at the beginning and end of every day, there's maybe something weird going on and a story progressing about a weird professor and a dinosaur. At some point, it jumps into, I think, a loop where he's just repeating the same week over and over again, which is sort of related to those supernatural happenings and lets the game go on for a little bit longer. But yeah, it's it's really cute and sweet. You've sold me. I was not expecting, but I saw watering plants and wandering around and I saw the Japanese countryside and I was like, ah, crap, add another one to my list. It's not super deep, but if you just want something very chill and silly, the jokes are very good. The the main joke that happens is he mixes up words. He's like a little kid. So you say, I don't even have a good example, but someone will, will say a word and he will mishear it and think it's something else and that's played for comedic effect. Some of the localization doesn't quite fully capture what I assume the actual joke is supposed to be, but you get where they're going with it. And it, it's just cute. It's a little kid constantly misunderstanding things. He's goofy and it's very sweet. It's very, very wholesome. I think it's like maybe fine to play for anyone listening who has kids that are of an age to look at video games. Like I think, I think this is probably okay too. So far, it seems relatively family friendly. I mean, our style is pretty cute too. I gotta say I'm I'm into that heart. Yeah, it's really, really nice. I think you and Andrea are on something, like onto something. I mean, not onto something, onto something. Playing like these <laughs> chill, relaxing games. I'm like, God, that looks like a good idea. I just started grounded, so hopefully, you know, that'll be my little. Yeah, my little. I need something escape. to counterbalance Splatoon three. <laughs> Now, this other game you're playing, Purgatory Dungeoneer. I was just looking at some photos of it. What is this? This is a little indie game from a developer. It's made by a team, but it's it's primarily the creative vision of a game developer named Damian Crawford, who is, is known for games on itch.io with titles such as, I have low stats, but my class is leader, so I recruited everyone I know to fight the Dark Lord. Um... <laughs> My older sister left the computer, so I got on and found myself trying to coordinate a raid in a game, and I don't play MMOs. Uh, oh and it's six random characters in a single-floor dungeon. That's the whole game. Uh, it's 
All of their games are things that are like very, very crunchy stat wise. Most of their previous games are deliberately a little bit unplayable. They're always intended to be just ridiculously hard and and sort of stupid ideas like bringing parties of 99 people to fight the Dark Lord is just oh ridiculous. God, amazing. And <laughs> Purgatory Dungeoneer is, from what I understand, like, but like, like one of their first games, they've got like a publisher on board, they've got a team on board, and they're trying to take these concepts that they, they have used making these just ridiculous parties of characters and these crunchy stat spreadsheets and turn them into something that's a little more playable for people. So as in Stardew Valley, when you inherit your grandfather's farm, in Purgatory Dungeoneer, you inherit your grandfather's dungeon and his guild hall. He has died and left you with this guild hall with a dungeon attached where adventurers at the end of their life or at the end of their time adventuring show up and they sort of go there to retire effectively, but they're adventurers and they can never really stop adventuring. So you are running this guild hall and it, at the beginning it's populated by a small group of adventurers of different classes and races that you typically see in D&D and D&D, like spinoff stuff. So there's like an angel healer and a void child warrior. I think I'm kind of making up classes at this point. Like I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I like that's a new one. But, but they're, they're all things like that. They're all, they're all these weird combinations. And you assemble a party of five and you take them into the dungeon. And it's a super simple dungeon. There's no side quest. There's no loot to be found. It's a series of battles. The point of the game is sort of configuring these parties and understanding how the stats and the systems and the different races have different, you know, buffs and debuffs and different classes have different buffs and debuffs and they all have different abilities and sort of building a party together to conquer these increasingly difficult challenges in the dungeon. And as you are doing this, every time you go through the dungeon with a new set of characters, you will unlock even more characters showing up to the guild hall. I believe there's a total of like 420 different Holy possible crap. characters. Uh, wow. It's pretty ridiculous. And accompanying that, as you take these adventurers through the dungeons and level them up, because they are retired adventurers, all of them have developed some trauma from adventuring. Mm. And so after a certain amount of dungeon attempts, they will ask you to go on a sort of side quest type thing with them where it's them and a set party of characters that you can't pick and you go through with them and then you will get at the end of it a little bit of their story and what they took away from their adventuring and what their trauma is. And it's it's a really interesting experience about like processing trauma, but then also doing crunchy Excel spreadsheet organization. Uh, it's super fascinating. I'm having, it doesn't sound like something that I would ever play, but I, I do a regular column at IGN where I try to discover little games that we're not covering otherwise. And I picked it up for that column and I played a couple rounds in the dungeon. And I thought, great, I've done enough. I can write about this, but I keep opening it up and doing more runs because I'm interested in who these guys are. Visually very simple, mechanically very complex because it's it if you like weird detailed rpg battle systems and configuring parties this is it look for this you have just been flipping all my switches tonight baby girl <laughs> <laughs> you said the word spreadsheet though and i was like you don't have that. to make spreadsheets but it's the kind, it's it's a game for people who like spreadsheets i guess is what i'm trying to say like you're given you talk to these characters and you can ask them to look at their guild card and you'll read their guild card and it's something like oh this character class gets a plus 20% buff to their devotion. And then you open up their spell menu and it's telling you what they can do with their devotion and what their stats are and there's equipment. And it's all this stuff you can sort of configure. And there's 420 different characters. It's like a 10 hour game. You do not remotely have to engage.
engage with all of them. Sort of, I think, I think the way it's meant to be played is you're meant to sort of try out a few of them early on, figure out who you want to bring along, get yourself a healer, get yourself a ranged damage dealer, mm-hmm. a close-up damage dealer, a tank, uh, and then focus on those guys. Maybe pull in a couple others here or there as you like, but build a party that you're comfortable with, get to know them, do their side quests so you understand what's happening, and then work your way through the story. Is there difficulty options, or is it just one? Uh, haven't messed around with that yet. I think it's just one, but as they level up, you can change the difficulty of the dungeon and sort of the way it works is if you have a party of level ones and you go into the dungeon and it's initially set at level two. And if the level ones conquer a level two dungeon, they will all level up to two. You can set the level however you want. So if you want to take the level one guys into the easiest dungeon, you can just set that at any time. Noted. Yeah, cheese it. So theoretically, if you're having trouble, you can take like some of your stronger characters with the level one guys into the easy dungeon and help them along. There's some character classes that I was like, I have no idea what's going on here. There's like a mimic character class that goes through a bunch of stances and mimics all these. It's really complicated. I I ain't touching this. But I found that I, you know, I got a healer that I liked early on. I got a mage. If you understand how parties can be composed, I got a, a crossbow person and a tank and a warrior and basically stuck them all together and just started working with them. And it's pretty straightforward if you understand sort of basic how roles in Dungeons and Dragons work. I didn't find that it got too difficult. Oh, I will say though, the thing that makes it super hard is it's like a reverse roguelike in that every time you defeat a monster in the dungeon, you have a choice between two doors and each door gives you a different debuff and you have to pick which debuff you're going to take. Oh. What? No, who makes a, who makes a mechanic uh, like who that? who makes a game called I Have Low Stats but my class is leader so I recruited everyone I know to fight the You did say intentionally unplayable. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this is not unplayable. This is in, intentionally hard. It's it's like a series of four to five battles each dungeon run is. I'm not sure if there end up being more the further in you get. So eventually you finish the dungeon. It's not endless. And then when you you leave and then they reset. But wow. it's sort of deciding what penalties you're willing to take. If you know you don't have characters that are using the logic stat right now and one of the penalties is to a logic stat, then you take that one because, you know, min-maxing, understanding what you're willing to sacrifice, which plays into the conversation it's trying to have about trauma. Wow. Well, for a game that looks very simple, like you said, very complex indeed. Well, yeah. That- <laughs> that is Purgatory Dungeoneer, friends. Rebecca, it has been awesome having you on the show. Always a pleasure. I think the last time you were on was October of 2021. It was has it the, really been that yeah, long? I think it's been it's been a while. So oh. you know, a year came around. I was getting the the, the I would say the Rebecca itch, but that just sounds really weird. <laughs> TLDR, missed you, girl. <laughs> Glad you're back. <laughs> I miss you too. I love coming here, literally anytime. Awesome. So, where can people keep up with all of your shenanigans? You can find me on Twitter at Duck Valentine, and I'm scrolling up. You can see my author page at IGN if you want to read what I've been writing. It's at ign.com/person/duckvalentine. I had to go look at that because I don't have that memorized. Maybe I should. But those are the two main places that I exist. All right. Well, we will have those links in the show notes. And thank you again to everyone for listening to What's Good Games and watching on youtube.com slash what's good games. We will be back next week with more video game shenanigans. Have fun, take care, eat right, and get some sleep. I should take my own advice. Bye. (laughs)